Let's take our Bibles and the height of the rest of you as well. <laughs> Let's go to Acts chapter 13. And I think we'll um, just try to think where we might go here. We'll start in verse 38, even though our text that we're going to be using today is 42 to 52, but let's, let's kind of bring us to essentially the conclusion of Paul's sermon to this group in, uh, in Antioch of Pisidia. This is his closing remarks, and then what we're going to be looking at today is a reaction to that. Acts chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse 38. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware therefore, lest that come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers, and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth." When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. And the, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost." May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word. Let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, thank You for the day. Thank You for Your beauty, Your majesty in creation. And even in allowing us to come together in this place, this small quaint place today that we're able to worship without persecution on this day, as we lift our voices of praise, prayer. And now as we look to the Word, we would ask that the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that filled these people, thousands of years ago, that literally today the Spirit would speak to us through your Word, and it would be exclusively. Father, we have nothing to offer or to add. As we receive the Word today, may you be glorified and may we be blessed. Father, we'll thank you for all of those that are here today, they and their families. Father, you know their situations, you know their challenges, you know everything about them. We'd ask that these needs that are upon them right now, Father, that you would wrap your arms around them. May you give them what they need at the time they need it. But right now, Father, it's time for us to go to the Word. Teach us through the Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we've, uh, we've been engaged, I think this has been our third week in Acts chapter 13. Uh, once again, let's go to our map and uh, get ourselves set on the geography of what's taking place. It's the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas have been chosen by God 
Um, and there's five leaders, there was five pastors, if you will, that we find uh, that were given to us in Acts chapter 13. There's five men that were leading that church. Uh, and God chose to take what I would have to say, number one and number two. Now, what do you think that church felt like? And that was in Antioch in Syria. As we, I'm not, Larry, I don't know if you heard me. We'll, we'll look at that map one more time. And it's interesting to note that um, those two guys take off and they take John Mark with them. And they arrive in Cyprus first, Cyprus being that island that literally is, uh, was a place that, um, I can't figure this silly thing out. I think I got that on, I think. Or not. All right, it doesn't want to play nice today. At any rate, we'll use it a pointer. <laughs> uh, kind of ground zero for the church in the Gentile expansion would have been Antioch of Syria. Uh, this is hometown, if you will, almost to Paul, who was Saul previously. He came, met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, Barnabas would have been his traveling companion. And actually, as you see, there's a change in leadership. Uh, to begin with, in, in chapter 13, it was Barnabas and Paul. When they left Cyprus, it was Paul and his company. Something had taken place. Paul became that the orator or the preacher, if you will, in the two cities, Salamis and Paphos. Paphos was the place that the governor of Cyprus got saved. Ran smack dab into a guy by the name of Bar-Jesus, who was a Jew. Let me stop there for a second. Have you noticed thus far in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 8, um, and we have chapter 13, we'll find it in 14, we'll find all, all through the book of Acts as the church is beginning and expanding. Do you know where the opposition came from? The Jews. I mean, they were right in the face of the Messiah. The Messiah's people are rejecting the Messiah and the message of the Messiah. Is that not crazy? It was like the closer they got to the Messiah, the more clearly they missed him. And there was sort of a pun. In, did you see? It, it, it's a contrast. It's an oxymoron. How could the Messiah's people miss the Messiah? And not only that, they wanted everybody else to miss it. And it goes on today. The Jews are the most lost nation, literally. There's a few, a remnant, as the scriptures call out, that have accepted Christ, Messianic Jews. They're a Jew because they've received the Messiah. As a nation, they're not going to get it until we are on the end of the tribulation period, which I think is fast approaching. All indications to me are we are at light speed. All the things necessary to get ourselves to that edge, we're in there. Revelation never made so much sense as it does today. As we think about that, the Jews are where the point of, of oppression, and I mentioned that today because this is what we're about. We're talking about verses 42 through 52 of chapter 13, which is literally the reaction to the message of the gospel. And it's like dropping a rock into a body of water. There are repercussions, aren't there? There's reactions. There's things that take place. Well, as we continue, they, uh, they left uh, after the, the governor got saved of Cyprus, and they take off. You can watch the purple line, and they land in Perga, which would have been the nearest seaport. Sea um, and then I'm not sure exactly how, but the Holy Spirit is leading them every step of the way, just like he wants to lead you in your journey of life. He wants to take, in fact, a year from now, I, I'm, I can say with confidence, the Holy Spirit may take one or two or five or a good share of you somewhere else. And if that's where he wants you, that's where you need to be. 
Literally, they come to a little town. Uh, I shouldn't even call it a little town, but Antioch of Pisidia. That was a grueling, we've talked just briefly, even before we read our scripture today, a grueling path through the Taurus Mountains. They get there, they settle in, and this is where we started in chapter 13, they settle in at the synagogue. The Jews have their, and that's another thing that's interesting. Every place that you find Paul going with a, with a first-time impression, first, our first time getting there, guess where he goes? He goes to the synagogue. He goes to where, let's go to the Jews first. He's always got the Jew in his mind. He's a Jew. I mean, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees, literally, taught by Gamaliel. He has, he has heritage of Israel deep, rich in his blood from the tribe of, Jew, of Benjamin. And so they come in and they sit down. And then the leaders of this synagogue would have noticed those two visitors as being pretty special. You guys have something to say to this group? Say it. <laughs> that was like opening that door wide open and having a massive amplified, <laughs> here's the word, let's get it. And he, he unfolds it. He unfolds it. And, we, and we've talked the last couple of weeks of, I don't know if remember our three points that he made, was literally Jesus Christ fulfilled history, Jesus Christ fulfilled messiahship, and Jesus Christ justified you from your sins. Oh, Brand new stuff, in one sense, to the Jew even. And they were on fire with it all the way until he would have mentioned the name Jesus. It's even today in our world. When you mention Jesus Christ, there are, there's rejectors or there's acceptors. It's no different. That's it's the way it is. So here we are. How will they respond? How will they react? Uh, one of the things we didn't do last week was, and I read it specifically today in Acts chapter 13. Let's go back to a couple of verses there. He gives essentially a warning after saying, by him all the, verse 39, all that believe are justified from all things. You'll have your sins forgiven. They've never had that. We spent a lot of time talking about the sacrificial system last week. I mean, I will have to say, this is, this is a Saturday morning, right? You're getting ready to go to, the, to worship at the temple, Right? I mean, I would have to say, if I was that guy going with my family to worship, it would be a drudgery. Because every time I entered that place, the purity of God would be so overwhelming, and I'm a sinner. And I've got to go get some more sacrifices. And that doesn't, that doesn't pay for what's in front of us. That, to me, is so incredibly important. Every one of your sins to Jesus Christ on that cross was future to him. And it is present and even future to us today is still paid for that Jesus Christ was the sacrifice for all. That is fabulous. Praise God. That's all I got to say. Now, for those four people, they would go to worship and they'd take, you know, Johnny Lamb with them and they'd sacrifice him for what he did yesterday. And he knows tomorrow he's going to have to do it again and again, right? Ad nauseum. Yes, women had to, yes. Yeah. It would have been a little different. You know, there, were, there was definitely how women and men were treated or, or uh, responded within that. I'm going to just say the, the rank. It's not ranking. It's order. It's order, okay? But, yeah, they were, they were sinners just like anyone else. Yep. I mean, right? Okay, kiddos, let's go to church. Let's worship God. Oh, that's right. Honey, do you remember what I did yesterday? See, it would be just never stopping. That's why they had so many priests. There was so much sin. Oh, somebody erase that. Who did that? Oh, no. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Ernie, Ernie knows we didn't erase it. We were here last night, actually, meeting. 
because this was the part I was going to ask you to do last, this last week. Okay. Those of you that weren't here, you're okay. Those of you who were here, this is a test. There was a word written in the middle of this board that had to do with how people respond to the greatest problem in our world today. And it is not climate change. <laughs> Did any of you in your travels this week, this last week, hear anybody just come out with the word sin in just casual conversation? I did, did you really? I did it. And I said to Peter, okay, I got today covered. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. But it was safe because we met these people in the elevator and they had on T-shirts proclaiming Christ as Savior. Oh, you cheated. I did. You know what? It was good practice. <laughs> but isn't it amazing, though? Outside of Christianity which is the only place that you get forgiveness of sins to be justified. See, not, you can stand. This is, this is another thing. I don't know if you guys think about these things, but you can stand before God innocent because Jesus Christ justified you. I don't know if you know the, the, that, the gravity of that. That's, that's amazing because everyone else that does not have Jesus Christ can't even, how could you even approach him? That's why literally those run away. Sin, even in a Christian's life, if you're falling away from fellowship out of God, you do not go towards God with sin in your life. You always run and hide. What did Adam and Eve do? First sin that ever happened, what did they do? They hid. This is, the, this is the same God they walked with in the afternoon the day before. They had lemonade. I'm sure they had lemonade then. I know they did. They were drinking lemonade walking through the garden. Right? <laughs> He's not buying it either. <laughs> but anyway, can you imagine, though, in the cool of the afternoon, walking with God? Sin enters, and what do they do? They hid. That's what sin does. It separates. So I'm, I'm going to suggest then that no one heard in just casual conversation, doing your, life, your daily lives, that sin came up in a conversation. It doesn't. It doesn't do that, does it? And yet it's the world's number one problem. Won't even talk about it. Won't even talk about it. Because you know what? We can't fix it. And Paul has just given a solution. He says, I'm going to show you the one that all of history is about from the beginning of the world. Genesis 3.15 is the first time that the Redeemer was spoken of. All the way through to you get to the book of Revelation and you get to the end. There is an end. It's called eternity beginning and ending. But all of that period that is history to God, because he sees it all. It's all fulfilled, actually, in God. In God's eyes, it's all fulfilled. And at the end, he wins. And Jesus Christ is the answer to everything that happened that divided men from God, and it's sin, and Jesus Christ handles that. Paul speaks of it. He says history is all about that. It's culminated in him. And then, secondarily, that Messiah came, and he is Jesus, and he will justify you from your sins. Okay, so let's go to this... Um, to this, uh, let's see, what verse was it? We read verse 38, and I got sidetracked. Imagine that. Uh, verse 39, for by him are all th you that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. 
Now, verse 40, there's a bit of a warning here, and he goes back to a, an Old Testament uh, minor prophet. He says, Beware, therefore, lest it come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets, behold, you despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declared it unto you. In other words, he's saying this, is, this happening of Jesus is something you're not even possible to believe. But he's doing this based on a prophet. Let's go back to Habakkuk, a little book of Habakkuk, the latter part of our, your Old Testament. And those of you that are wondering, it's on page 1352. Oh, wait, you don't have the same Bible. But let's go to Habakkuk, if you can find that. Chapter 1 and verse 5. Now, as you're, as you're finding that, Habakkuk is really perplexed. Uh, things are not going well in Israel. It's a mess. They're sinning. And they're going crazy. And they're not following after God. Hmm. Does that sound like a place we live today? It does. But Habakkuk's wondering, what are you going to do about it, God? What are you going to do about it? And then God responds this way. In verse 5, he says this. Behold, you among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. That's the verse literally that Paul has responded with. And he goes on to say here in Habakkuk, he says, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. In other words, he is telling Habakkuk, are you ready? No, you're not. You can't even possibly believe this. I'm going to take the heathen, the Gentile Chaldean nation, the Babylonians, and they're going to come in and they're going to sweep through the land and act as the judge for the Israelites. That's weird. Habakkuk says, what? What is that about? You're going to use more godless people to judge your people? This makes no sense. Now, if you think about what Paul is doing in making reference to that, the Gentiles were judging the Jews in Habakkuk, which happened actually literally, right? And now the flip is coming that literally the Jews through Jesus will bless the Gentiles. You can't even believe it. The Jews are the first to say, we can't believe that could possibly happen. How could, how could, how could Gentiles be saved? How could they be justified from their sin? In fact, all through the Old Testament says no one's justified only the righteous, which is true, right? That's why God had to send Jesus, because there's no way to be justified. And now he's saying that the Jew, through the Jew, the Gentiles would be justified. Ah, crazy stuff. That's how he finished his sermon. Back to, uh, to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. How do they respond? Now, in the King James it has, and when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath. Now, in uh, a New American Standard, some of the other versions, it actually has when Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue, the people, it's they is the word that's there. Um, but it doesn't matter in the sense of this. They're leaving the synagogue. The message has been preached. He's given warning. He's given the three points. This is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And as they're leaving, the people are saying, you know what, we'd like to hear more of that. Which is, that speaks to me of how great a communicator Paul was. There's nothing better for a teacher than to know that he, is, that he has raised the sense of enthusiastic learning and wanting to know more about a subject than for, to, for him to spend time stating what's there and they say, we want to know more. 
I want to know more about that. Now, literally, that's what the Word of God does to a Christian, to a believer, someone that's trusted Christ. You can't get enough of understanding the Word of God. That's literally why some of you are here today. We're in the Word of God, and you want to know more about it. You want to know how the Holy Spirit is literally guiding you into truth. That's why He came. These people are... Now, again, this is the first blush they've had. We've had Barnabas and Paul, they show up in Antioch of Pisidia. They sit down in the synagogue. Paul gets up and states in a very, I would say, very succinctly, three basic points. And they say, why don't we talk about this again next week? Now, think of that for a second, just, just for a moment. I don't know who is leading the services at the synagogue. But for the people to rush out after Paul and Barnabas to say, let's do that again. What do you think the local schmokels are doing right now? What? The guy, this is his first time he's here. They want, what? This is not orderly. This does not make any sense. It's like a guest pastor running around and he's, let, let's hear from him again. It's okay, right? That's why I think there's some resistance going to come up. In fact, that was the perception. Initially, it was very positive. Now, sometimes the gospel is positively received, provided it doesn't require too much commitment. How do you tell someone that's trusted Christ, that someone that may even say they've trusted Christ, how do you know? Which, what, what, how, do, how, do, how do you know that it actually happens? Because you can't, if, if, for me to sit up here and someone says, I've trusted Christ, and I could give examples of where I had the opportunity to lead someone to Christ, but do I know that's real, even though they say it's real? No, I don't. How do we know it's real? Let's go to, G, let's go to John chapter 8. For a moment, Jesus even uh, kind of revealed this. John chapter eight. He says this. John chapter eight. I got to find the verse. I think it's. Oh yeah, verse thirty. It's the same thing that we'll find in another couple of verses in Acts. How Paul responds as well. John chapter eight. Now Jesus has just had. Um, which shall we say? Must. He's been speaking. He's been sermonizing, if you will. In verse 30 of John chapter 8, it says very simply, As he spake these words, many believed on him. In other words, they believed him. They said, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Now watch what Jesus responds, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. This is his message to them. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. I'll be able to tell if you're written. Now, not that Jesus need, you understand what I'm saying. He knew, but it was a point for us even today. If someone says to you, I believe Jesus Christ and he alone is the only way that I can have my sins justified. I believe in him by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, in the word alone, so that God is glorified alone. Got all the right words, right? Sounds good. But how do we know if they continue? And if you are a Christian, if you've truly trusted Christ, you will continue. Okay? That's important. Now, sometimes it's... Gotta be, this is going to be... Hopefully this... Well, we're asking the Holy Spirit to lead us. There are people that have said the right words. And we talk about the sense that salvation is eternal. It's, it's all over the Scripture. You are saved by an eternal God. Jesus Christ who paid the price eternally. You are sealed unto the day of redemption with eternal salvation through the Holy Spirit. All of those things are fixed infinitely. Okay? Make no mistake about that. But when we sometimes would say to a person that maybe just has the right words that hasn't been saved, isn't all in, 
they can get a false sense of security. I did that. Now this is, to me, I, I don't know why, but it hit me like right in my head today. Let's go to Romans chapter 1 for a moment. This is the one that literally got, oh, was, who's the one that led the Reformation? Uh, what was his name? Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Okay, so let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Now don't read it, just, just kind of cruise into Romans in chapter 1. And let's, let's think about Martin Luther for a moment. Tell me about him. Tell me, what do you know about him? Yeah, he, he, he got after it. And he did that after he, there was, I'm going to just say the light was revealed to him. Let's describe his life. Would you call him like super religious? Oh my goodness. It would be like super quad ultra unbelievable religious. They say that he had calluses on his knees because he crawled everywhere because he thought it was more pious. Right? I mean, if there was any way that he could get closer to God... In the physicality of who he was, he was there. Got it? You think of the most religious person you could possibly think of today, and Martin Luther was more than that. But you know what he didn't have? He did not have joy. He did not have peace. He did not have all of the things that he should have had if, in fact, he was a saved man. And one day, Romans chapter 1 verse 17, we'll read 16 and 17, hit him square between the eyes. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Paul, again, being the author through the power of the Holy Spirit, saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That, again, fits our, our message in Acts. But watch. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, And this passage right here hit Martin Luther right between the eyes. It is written, the just shall live by faith. And he had been working. The just were working and working and working and working. Now, the word that struck at me this morning as I was reading that was, the just, those are declared righteous. That's literally what Paul has been speaking about to this little group of people in the, in the synagogue in Pisidia was, you can have your sins forgiven and you can be justified. You can be declared not guilty by believing in Christ, by faith. These, these very words, essentially, he's describing more fully. But for me, I saw something today that, okay, what's the difference? Someone that says they believe in Christ and the ones that just mouth the words or are trying to... In other words, there's another thing that can happen. If you have a, a you know, a not necessarily a young man, a young woman, but you have a, a couple, a man and a woman that want to be married. It's amazing, in, even in counseling, what a person will say to get what he or she wants. And I have no way of knowing. Right? I can ask the questions... And it's amazing how people know the right answers, right? But do they believe those answers? And the only way you ever know is what that verse says. The just, those that trusted Christ by faith, they live their lives by that. It's a continuation. That doesn't mean you're perfect, by the way, right? It's not like that. But you get getting up, you fall down, you trip, you fall down, and you know, you're skinned up, and guess who's the first one to help you up? 
It's Jesus, right? God's right there. He's for you. He picks you up. He's like, hey, buddy, let's go. Let's go. Don't stop now. We've got, to keep, we've got stuff to do. Just keep walking and living by faith, right? Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Continue in the Spirit. Can, you find it all through the Scriptures. Now, here's another verse that... Let's, go to, let's, let's look at the other side of it for a moment. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. 1 John chapter 2. Well, we'll start in verse 18. He's actually, this is John the Apostle, the one that's kind of has taken a bit of a, uh, you know, when he's, and he's, he's active in the church. Don't get me wrong. He's done some really cool stuff. We have the book of Revelation because uh, some wild man couldn't kill him. So he sent him off to an island be by himself where he would hurt nobody. And today we are the, we are the recipients of the fantastic book of Revelation. Okay. Here we go. Verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists. Tell me what an Antichrist is. When I say the word Antichrist, you're thinking of this big, bad, terrible person who is in charge of the tribulation, right? Tell me what Antichrist is. And, and by the very sense of the word, Antichrist, you would think he's the opposite of, and I'm saying he because the Antichrist will be a he. Women, you're safe. It can't... <laughs> Okay, you're safe. But that Antichrist, that guy that will be actually the ultimate in Antichrist, he will be Satan-inspired. Satan almost, Satan will envelop him to the point it's almost Satan personified. Almost, if you will, almost like Jesus Christ, God incarnate. This will be Satan incarnate. But it's not just against Christ, everything that Christ isn't. This is what's insane for us today. You know, there are many antichrists in our world today. Thousands. Thousands. The antichrist is saved for the last one. He will be amazing. He will be amazing from the people. They will flock to him. They will be just captured by him. He will be magnetic. He'll be able to solve problems. He'll look like a philanthropist. He'll be able to give money to places that nobody... Where did that come from? He'll be able to make treaties. He'll, he'll tie Israel and the Muslims together for a short period of time. Everybody will be... It'll be unbelievable. What is an Antichrist? Excuse me? Okay, and let's even take it a little bit further. That's right. Anything except God. Now, that sounds a lot like our world, doesn't it? You can get wrapped up in a lot of things and anything that takes the place of God. That's why the same guy, I'm, I'm, we're going to read another verse here, and then we're going to go to the very last verse of 1 John. And it's so revealing that this is literally what an Antichrist is. But he says this, We know that it is the last time when the Antichrists are present. Now, look at verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest or revealed that they were not all of us. That is exactly as clearly put. And you say there's a lot of, ooh, I didn't, you know what? They weren't of us. Therefore, they didn't continue with us. Look at, look at how he ends the last verse in 1 John. He says, little children, verse 21, chapter 5, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That seems weird, doesn't it? What's an idol? Anything that keeps you from God, right? An idol and an antichrist really literally are equal. 
In my mind and how they react, they're basically exactly the same. Now, an idol, when I say that word, you see a statue standing in somebody's front yard or standing beside a quote-unquote church or whatever. You see a statue, right? An idol. There's a lot of those in your little mind. What do you pay the most attention to? At the end of the week, how many hours? Do you guys get those? I get them on Sunday mornings. Your, what is it? Your screen time, your, what's what's the right word? I'm not getting it. But on my phone, anyway, what I was doing on my phone, it says you were up 27% or you were down 27%. And on Sundays, it was, it's comparing me. Okay, here's in your mind. What do you think the most about? That's probably who you're doing business with at the highest level. Is that thing, person, is that God? It is by the sense of prioritization in your life, right? There's people that go to church on a Sunday morning. They give God an hour. That's it. One hour a week for the one that you say is the one that saved you? What did Jesus say? He said, what did he say in John chapter 8, verse 31? Those who continue in my word, in my works, in my deeds, that's the one that's saved. It's true, isn't it? Time reveals how we, or how we live and the time that we spend reveals who we really truly serve or who we really truly love. Let's go back to Acts, Acts chapter 13. Now, it's interesting that Paul has raised enough of a level of enthusiasm and concern that they want to hear some more. There's a danger in some of that. Um, I'll just say this, and I, I would trust in the group that's here that probably this is not the case because, no, I won't even say that. It's, it's not, again, I don't know. I can't tell. But there's people that have heard the gospel clear enough so they understand that Jesus Christ is the only way they can be saved from their sin. Okay? And by believing in him alone is the only way for you to literally beat that word sin. And they say, hmm, not today. I need to know a little bit more. I need to take a little time. Uh, I got some things I got to get done right now. You've heard those lines, haven't you? That is incredibly dangerous. Do you know the king of procrastination, I'm convinced, is equal to Satan. He wants you to kick salvation's can down the road. You got time, buddy. You got time. I remember that the great, uh, it was Chicago Fire. D.L. Moody was doing a, a revival session during that. And he regretted one thing. On that night of the great fire, he had laid out the gospel, but he said, come tomorrow night and I'll give you the full final message. And he regretted that because there were people that didn't come back that were lost. Now, is that D.L. Moody's fault? No. But the point is, if you reject the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you know it, you are in dangerous territory. We're going to close with 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 today. Don't go there right now. Oh, you want to close right now? <laughs> oh, I got that. Okay. Well, let's just go for it. And they all said, amen. Right? Okay. Okay. Praise God. Hallelujah. But, but there's a part of that that actually is very fluid through the Old Testament and New Testament in the sense of today. Today is the day of salvation. Don't kick it down the road. 
That's really Paul's message was as well. Don't, don't, don't leave until you make, get this figured out. But they're coming back next week. Verse 43, chapter 13 of Acts. When the congregation was broken up, in other words, dispersing many of the Jews and religious proselytes. Now, those would be Gentiles that could have been a couple different natures. There would be what we would call, a, I w- I'm going to use the term legal a legal proselyte that they really would have engaged even in the rite of circumcision to be as close to Judaism as possible. They would, they would take every initiatory ceremony, everything possible they could do to become fully Jews, okay, without being born a Jew. Or a proselyte would be just literally following after Judaism, but not involved in the highest level, the highest rites, if you will, R-I-T-E-S, to be there. But these are the people that would have been following with the Jews. And they came to, they followed Paul and, Bar- Paul and Barnabas. These were the persistent ones. They were pleased that they were there. They're pleased with what they heard. But these are persistent. They're actually following them. And they, Paul and Barnabas, are speaking to them, watch now, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Now, from that, you'd have to say, because of the pre- the, pre- uh, the the work we've done just previously is the fact that how would you continue in the gospel if you hadn't accepted the gospel? Okay? So my understanding of this verse is as they're leaving the place, there's this mob of people following Paul and Barnabas. Tell us more. Tell us what, what, what did you mean by just, and I can see this conversation, this discussion. That verse is very short. It's very succinct. But you know what? There's a whole lot of things that were said during that time frame. There were those that literally, I'm convinced, would have at least verbally given assent to believing in Christ. And did you see how Paul responded? He persuaded them to continue in what they had just said they believed. So now we have, they were pleased, they were persistent. They're actually professing. They're asked to continue in grace. They are going to be, they've been asked by Paul to live the faith that they say that they have. I wonder what that would have been like for Paul and Barnabas. You talk about being encouraged, right? In fact, you get done and the people come and say, whoa, we want to hear that again next week. You come back right here. Let's do that again. So guess what happens the next week? Because people chit chat, right? They just share stuff, right? Good or bad, they're going to let you have it. Look what this verse, next verse says. Now, I don't know where they were all at because I have a sense that the synagogue isn't that big. But in verse 44, it says the next Sabbath day, the next Saturday, came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. That is wild, isn't it? And if you were Paul and Barnabas and you're watching this thing develop, I've I've been to events that... uh, you know, kind of highly touted, and there's like five people show up. Ooh. <laughs> this would have been something that Paul and Barnabas, because of just sharing the Word of God, they said, hey, we want to hear that again next week. They would have probably envisioned hearing or being with the same group of people, right? But this is the power, literally, of the Holy Spirit, that through the dispersing of conversation, this whole, I don't know, are you right? I mean, how, the whole place is there. That's what it tells us. Enter opposition. He hasn't even said anything. Watch what we see. Verse 45. But, (laughs) there's always a but in there. 
When the Jews, uh-oh, there's our people, the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with compassion. No, wait, that was Jesus, right? If you go through the Gospels, he saw the, the crowd in the multitude. What did he do? He was filled with compassion. He saw their needs. Uh, the Jews were filled with something else. What is that word? Envy. Jealousy. They were filled. Just like you were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul, Barnabas and Paul were filled with. They were on the opposite spectrum. They were filled, completely filled with envy. That's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Excuse me? What did you say? They spoke against them. Yes, they did. Spoke against them. They took a position. The last thing they Jews wanted to see was literally this whole city. Now, again, this is a Gentile city. Most of them would have been Gentiles. Even though they're in Jewish population and there were Gentile proselytes, it appears as such that the ones that just on the previous Saturday said they trusted Christ are not so trusting Christ right now. They're against having all of these Gentiles in the same place, having the same Savior. Do you see what we see? They weren't continuing in the Word. They weren't continuing. Now, not to say some of them didn't, I'm not suggesting that, but it would seem like the Jews, their place of worship is where? In the synagogue. The same ones that were there the week before are seeing this whole gathering of the whole town coming to their place to hear these two talk about Jesus who was justifying, could justify sins. So you don't see that as, as maybe the Jewish leadership particularly that were resistant? I think it was part of that whole group, yeah. yeah. But, but to say, in other words, it seems it's, it's not just a few here. It, it's, it's pretty robust. Because you can see that they were able to divert, later on in the text, they were able to divert attention, or grab attention is a better word, from the devout women and the higher-up leaders. So were they Jewish leaders in the synagogue? Yes, I'm sure there were. But it was more than that. It was more than two or three. This was overwhelming. Paul never got to speak. Did you see that? He, he didn't speak again. They never got to hear that again. What? They didn't get to hear it again? There was people that never heard it the first time, that didn't hear it the second time. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. The, the people that came back, when they, they were sitting in the synagogue when Paul and Barnabas show up, they hear Paul describe for you history about Jesus, the culmination of the Messiahship in Jesus, and he's the justifier of sins. So they say, let's hear this next week. So here comes the rest of the city. Did you know what's not in that discussion? There's not another sermon. They were run out of town. And I'm convinced that part of that group that said they believed Paul just as likely turned right around and said, you know what our Jewish roots really are? That has nothing to do. Because who were, who were the ones that followed Paul and Barnabas out of that place? The Jews and the <clears throat> proselytes, which were very Jewish in nature of how they're really following their life. Do you see this? What were the, the, Prejudice. What, That's what we have going on here. Go ahead. What were the Gentiles doing in the, in the synagogue, I guess? What, what were they? They would have been. Would they have been. Why were they in the synagogue? They, they would have been on the, on the outer courts of that. You know, there, there was a place for Gentiles to be. It was a prejudice. There was, there was massive prejudice between Jews and Gentiles. Okay? But the fact that in a Gentile city, seeing the corruption morally or whatever you might want to say, they would have seen, now I'm talking about these religious, these Jewish proselytes. These are Gentiles that are going to follow after Judaism. 
Okay? The reason they're doing that is they're looking for a God that literally is the answer to the things they know is right. And within, it's amazing, within human beings, the way God made us, there's a part of us that knows right from wrong. It's a conscience. Now, you can sear that conscience to where you actually burn it to where it is no longer valid. It's not functioning properly. I think a reprobate mind correctly, which is really just grasping our society today, which God turns them over to a reprobate mind. That, to me, is almost a seared conscience. It's something that cannot evaluate reality in a way that is even rational. And I see a lot of that today, particularly at a higher level of government. They're reprobates. I said that out loud, and it's true, because that's exactly what Romans chapter 1 is speaking about. Okay? So, how did I get off? I branched out for just a second. Uh, what, you, oh, how, why were the Gentiles there? Okay? This is a Gentile city in nature. So, those Gentile proselytes, probably because they've been following after God for some period of time, they would have made a phone call. Oh, wait, they wouldn't have made a phone call. They would have made a visit. They would actually talk to somebody, right? See, they were fa- <laughs> I'm going to get down a trail I'm going to not be able to recover from because I have, I have an iPhone as well, right? So, at any rate, they probably would have went to the neighbors, their Gentile family that weren't proselytes and said, you won't believe this guy. You won't believe this guy. His name is Paul, and he showed up at the synagogue where we've been attending because we think that the Jude- Judaism's God is the one to follow, the Yahweh, Jehovah. I think he should come out. He's coming back next week. And that's how the Gentiles got there in mass. But it says the Jews responded with envy. We're not going to have Gentiles in our deal. That's deep. That prejudice is so amazingly deep. Now, I want to show you something um, that maybe this is what amazed Joseph and Mary, just this very fact. Because if you go all through the Old Testament, you will see that God had chosen the family of Abraham which is literally the father of the Jews. And there's no question that God chose that people. Now, he didn't choose them because they were special. He chose them because he wanted them to be special to the rest of the world, that they would see, the rest of the world would see in the Israelites, they served a God that was remarkably different and awesome and sovereign. And unfortunately, the Jews didn't do that well. But let's take a look at something. Let's go back to, uh, well, I got glasses everywhere now. I mean, this is cool. I got them everywhere. Let's go to, um, let's see. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 49. Old Testament, obviously. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6. Now, this is speaking, it's a, it's a messianic um, commission, shall we say. It's speaking about him through his servant, O Israel. But the Messiah would come. Look at verse 6. And what do we know about Messiah? We know that he would have come from Jacob. He would have come through Israel. And it says in verse 6, and he said, verse 6, 49, Isaiah 49, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. That shouldn't be very hard. And to restore the preserved of Israel. That shouldn't be very hard. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. 
Now that's an Old Testament prophecy. So why couldn't they accept this? Because of the very thing that's happening everywhere today as well as envy and prejudice. It can build a wall that is impenetrable. But let's look at something else. This, this is, this is uh, let's go back to, let's see, I've got to think. Uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Let's go there for a moment. Luke chapter 2 and take a look. Now Jesus has just been born. In fact, there's a man that we'll find right here in Luke chapter 2. A man by the name of Simeon. We'll find him in verse 25. Actually, let's just, let's just get this course unfolded. Jesus is, is a young baby. Verse 21, it says, When the eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, right? Which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now watch. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. Okay, this, is, this again is unique because prior to the Holy Spirit coming to every believer at, the, at the, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, right? It was sporadic. In fact, the Holy Spirit could, could be on Paul, but not loose, or not Peter, or not Yvonne. Could be on Bob. That was all, it was choosing, right? And he could leave. That's why David said in his psalm after he was confessing, I think it's Psalm chapter 51, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now we sing that chorus and I actually love that little chorus. It's really cool. But it's very wrong for us today. It's it's Old Testament language. The Holy Spirit cannot be taken from you if you are a believer in Christ today. Isn't that good news? That's fantastic. I can't imagine my life without having him. And he puts up with a lot from me, the Holy Spirit. But I just keep working at it, right? And he's digging, Larry, Larry, Larry. Do you remember that verse? Why don't you work on that verse for a second, buddy? Read that verse again. Isn't it amazing when you have those verses pop? You need to go see that because the Holy Spirit wants to use it. He wants to show you. It says the Holy Ghost was upon this man, Simeon. Let's watch what happens. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, it seems to me this is an elderly man. And in his later years, it's been shown him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen this Lord's Christ, that Christ Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. Did you see that? This guy's led by the Spirit, right? This wasn't, he wasn't there at the temple for this. Mark that. That, that, that tells us right there. He literally says, honey, if he had a wife, I'm at, honey, I got to go down to the temple. Holy Spirit tells me, I'm going to go there. Something going on. He walks in, boing, uh, there he is. There's the Messiah, this little baby boy that's been brought by Mary and Joseph. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Did you see that? In a Jewish temple, 
speaking that he, that little baby, that God is salvation, is going to give light to the Gentiles? Now look at the reaction. What did he say that's really wild? I think that. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. I think the word Gentile was so immensely entrenched as opposition, even in Joseph and Mary. How does that fit? We're the chosen people. The Gentiles are evil. That's why Habakkuk had so much trouble in understanding. God, whoa, 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 stop a minute. He's got a couple of chapters that he's actually arguing with God. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to chasten your people. You, God, you're the pure one. You're the holy. You're the sovereign. And you're going to use the Chaldeans to come in here and to wipe us. What? How does that work out? And at the end of Habakkuk, he says, you know what? It doesn't matter. Even if we don't have anything to eat, we don't have any... That's some of my favorite verses is Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, 18. He says, you know what, God? I'm going to praise you no matter what, because you are still God. That's the reaction we need to have, right? (laughs) Old Testament really literally laid out for these people that the Gentiles would be saved. But the Jews, back to... Acts chapter 13, they are filled with envy. They spoke against the things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. In other words, even saying that God was evil. That's what blasphemy is. It's the highest level of sin. Then Paul and Barnabas wax bold. That's what will happen when you're filled with the Holy Spirit in the sense. And the, have you seen that? Uh, maybe even in your own lives. As, as there's opposition, um, there's a sense because of the Holy Spirit working within you, there's, there's a boldness. It doesn't matter what other people think. What does God want me to do right now? That's what's happening right here. They wax bold and they said, it is necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, Jews, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now that's a pretty, that's a powerful statement that's said right there. In other words, When you reject Christ, now, by the way, if I was going to ask this, does God send people to hell? No. And you know what? That verse right there tells us how we send ourselves there. When you reject Jesus Christ, which the Jews have just done, those Jews, and I'm going to say it have to be at least some sense of a group of them to have this much power, this much, because they shut the service down. This isn't one or two. As I think that could have been thwarted. This was the Jews were filled with envy. And he never spoke the message. The sermon was never given. Literally, they rose up such a, what should I say, a fervor, a dissension, that literally Paul and Barnabas, they raise up and they said, you literally have rejected yourself from eternal life because you've rejected Jesus Christ. Now, that's responsibility, isn't it? And they had received the week before. This is the group. This is part of the group that heard. It was okay for them to come back to their group, the Jews, so the Jews could be saved. We're not sure we believe it yet because we're not on the Jesus side. But, but when all of these Gentiles showed up, it just freaked them out. And then Paul said, because you rejected the truth, the word of God, you literally are not fit for everlasting life. They are sending themselves literally to hell. Today, there are two responses to Jesus Christ. You're either for him or you're against him. Now, there are those that want to ride that fence, right? Sorry to say, it's a barbed wire fence. You're not going to remain on that one for very long. 
Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. There's no middle fence to ride. Now, uh, philosophically, I think there's a lot of pastors today that are trying to find that, that comfort zone so that you can kind of keep everybody just kind of smoothie-woothie. You know, it's good. It feels good. You know, a little lovey-dovey over here and a little bit. You know, don't do that. But, you know, we're okay. No, it's hard line. Paul took a hard line here. He said, you're rejecting Jesus Christ. Since you rejected him, you're rejecting your possibility for everlasting life. Boom! It's responsibility on you. It's not God. God supplied a way. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God would that all would come to repentance. That's his, that's his goal. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 18. Let's go there. John 3, 18. John 3, 18. Starting verse 17. Well, verse 16. That's, that's the verse. That I, think, I think it's fair that everyone would have to say that they would say John 3.16 is their favorite verse. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Praise God. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth not on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There it is. You, you either, you're either with him or you're against him. Oh, I'm in between. Jesus was a good teacher, and I, I like him, but, you know, he's, no, I'm sorry, you're against him. Well, he was a good man. He was a moral guy. He was, you know, he was, you're against him. He is the Son of God, the only Son of God. He's not created. He is not the half-brother of Lucifer. You say that, you've missed it. You must make him the Son of God. You must make him God incarnate. You must make him the Son of Mary, the one that justifies sins. He's the only way. You reject Jesus and you've judged yourself, as it says, Acts chapter 13. Verse 47, Acts chapter 13. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. We've just read that out of Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. And Paul is reminding them of the fact that we, the Jews, are to be a light to the Gentiles. When the Gentiles heard this, verse 48, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Look at the significance of the Word of God. Did you see it? Back in verse 46, it says, It was necessary that the Word of God should first be spoken to you. You've had the first shot. It's the Word of God that divides. It's the one that gives you the position to reject or accept. Verse 48, it says that they glorified the Word of the Lord. And then look at verse 49. The Word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Turning with that in mind, turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Let's take a look at this. Romans 10 and verses 13 through 8, uh, th- uh, 10 through 13. There we go. I think I've got it. Romans 10, no, verse 13. Here we go. Or, uh, no, let's back up. That's probably why I said it. Verse 10, 10, 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. 
For there is no difference between Jew and the Greek. Ooh, that's been a problem right here today back in Acts. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written. See, this is all backing up. This is why God sent Paul and Barnabas to Antioch of Pisidia. You've got to have a preacher before you can hear the word. You've got to hear the word before you can have faith. Right? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It says the word of God, the word of the Lord was published, spoken throughout all of the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. Man, oh man, didn't they just get started? There's opposition at its highest. When you preach the word of God, you can expect acceptance, but you can also expect, you should expect, there we go, expect resistance. There's significant resistance. And where is it coming from? The most unlikely source. Sometimes if you're embroiled in some type of a dissension, it's amazing. Usually at the key point of that is something that really, really surprises you. What? That's crazy. Why would that person, right? Comes from the most unexpected places. Why would the Jews reject? Because of prejudice, because of envy, because of all of the things that really all built up because of the sense of what they perceived themselves to be a chosen people. They were expelled from the coast. Look at verse 51. But they, that would be Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust of their feet against them and came on Iconium. What does that mean? What's that all about? Shaking the dust off. Have you ever done that? Have you shook the dust off your... I've done it outside of my house because I thought it would be in my best interest not to take that inside, right? I want to come back to one other thing before we do that. It just occurred to me. Let's hold that thought about dust for a moment. Um, As these Jews were filled with envy, they took a position against Paul and, and I was going to say Paul and Barnabas because they saw the Gentiles as having an open gate to come to the same parent God that they had, and that's, that's off limits. Okay? So they had Paul and Barnabas on trial. Now, if I was to take you to, um, in France, isn't that in the Louvre, isn't that where Mona Lisa would be displayed? Has anyone ever seen the picture, the original Mona Lisa? Now, I can't say that it's absolutely the most beautiful thing I've ever looked at, but nonetheless, the painting itself is very authentic. It is what it is. It's been critiqued by people that have an art background, unlike mine. And if someone took me to the Louvre and said, there it is, there it is. And I said, or I, could, I could say, okay, I didn't say it. Very ordinary. Really not particularly special. Now, that person of distinct, I would, you know, this is quality, artsy kind of guy, right? He knows this stuff. He would say to me, Larry, 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 the painting's not on trial. You are. That's exactly what took place right now with those Jews filled with envy. Jesus isn't on trial. When Jesus is presented in the gospel and preaching, Jesus is not on trial. 
You are. You accept it or you reject him. You're on trial. And yet there's people today that reject Jesus Christ. They can say, he's on. No, no, that's all been finished. His work is done. God approved it. He raised him from the dead. Now, again, I've said this a thousand times probably, literally probably a thousand times in this place over 24 years, that if Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, I would be the first to leave. I have nothing, nor do you. I couldn't preach to you with any, any sense of, of, of encouragement if knowing that my Savior, quote, my Savior is still in the grave. That means he failed. But God rose him from the dead. He was seen by 500 in one place that were living at the time that many of these epistles were written. So it was obvious that it was true. That's the key to this component is Jesus is not on trial. And have you heard anybody, you know, I've, I've looked at the facts. I've looked at it all. I just have to reject it. It's just not true. I've never heard that, honestly. I've heard people reject Jesus Christ because they don't want a Savior. They don't need a Savior. Jesus is a fraud. But if they really literally study it to what they've, if they really dug into that, they could never say, I've checked it out. The facts aren't with us. That is absolutely, I've never heard that from anyone because the facts are on God's side. He's not on trial. We are. The dust. So, as you can see, they literally just kicked them out of the country, out of the city, out of the city, I'm sorry. And I can see Paul and Barnabas taking their shoes off and kind of shaking the dust off and then putting them in. What are they doing with that? I mean, they just, what what, what, would they want to do with that? Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Let's get some background. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. And uh, let's let's have a look. Luke 10 and let's see about verse 11 probably. Luke 10. Let's see if it's right. Uh, let's back up to verse 10, 10. Now Jesus is commissioning the 70. If you were to read verses 1 through 9, you would find that he's sending them out. He's, send, he's sending them out to cities two by two to literally be involved in, in, in ministry. In verse 10, it says, but into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth unto us, we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. This was an opportunity. He's saying, is, let's see, let's just pick it, let's say it's Tyre. I'm not saying that it's, it, just say it was the city of Tyre. And let's say two of the apostles went in the city of Tyre. And they rejected the message. They rejected what they were talking about. They rejected Jesus Christ. They were literally to shake the dust off in that city and leave it there. Now, the, now that was something that was even prefaced by the fact, if you were a Jew and you were walking through... Don't, don't worry, but just say we had the, we had the map of, of Israel up here, right? And you even came out of Samaria, back into Jewish. Before, just as you entered in, you took your shoes off and you left the dust from the Gentile nation or from the Samaritans in Samaria because it was thought that you defiled Jewish territory if you actually brought the dust, the soil, the dirt from another place. Okay, that's, where the, that's how it started. Now, back in Acts chapter 13, literally, Paul and Barnabas are saying, okay, here's your dust. You can have it all because you rejected the kingdom of God coming to your place. But there was two distinct divisions. There were the ones that would have been miserable to be around, the ones that were filled with envy. 
Those were the ones that were full of dissension. They were the ones that were full of jealousy. We find those. Let's go back to Acts chapter 13, and we'll close out. As they were going to Iconium, now let's, let's take a quick look at that. Um, I can't believe this thing doesn't work. There it goes. Hey, finally, we're just about done. There we go. Okay, so we're over here at, at, at Antioch of Pisidia. Their next journey was from here over to Iconium. Okay, so at, before they take off, before they take out, out of there, they literally leave their dust in that city. That's a, that's, a, that's a mark of judgment. You have decided for yourself the judgment yourself, which was stated, you have put yourself in judgment. You are unworthy of everlasting life. And they went to Iconium, and it says, look at this, and the disciples. That's not Paul and Barnabas. The disciples they left behind, those that were following after Christ, were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. And you can imagine, again, the dissension would have continued. It says the word of the Lord was scattered through that entire region. But as the gospel would have given, guess what? There would have been resistance to that as well. Paul and Barnabas went to the next place. There had been enough saved, there had been enough Gentiles to have tasted of the gospel of light, which was described even in Isaiah chapter 49. Now, there, I still have to say, there were some of those Jews that were probably trying, they were just riding the fence. They were Jewish, and I really understand those Gentiles have no business being close to our God. But after watching what would have happened to the Jews, and did you see they were, I'm sorry, the Gentiles, did you see they were filled with the Holy Ghost? And there's another thing that happens. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have joy. This is a question for yourself. If I have no joy in my life, what is that telling me if I'm a Christian? You're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not yielding. And that means being yield, being controlled by. And I still, I like that one word, a sailboat being controlled by that wind. You can't see the wind and yet you're driven by it. You are completely controlled by that wind, the Holy Spirit. And when you are not controlled by the Holy Spirit, I will tell you what is absent from your life is joy. That doesn't mean you run around and you're, you're joyous every minute of every day. I'm not suggesting that. There are times for sorrow. There are times for interflection that really the Holy Spirit is digging deep and he's uncovering something. There's something there that you, oh, oh, I didn't ever see that before. That happens, by the way, and that's good. But when, you reveal, when that's revealed, oftentimes just say, ah, thank you. There's a release of that. And guess what happens? Joy is there. So here we have these disciples, the ones that had trusted Christ, that, are follow, that followed Paul and Barnabas, that literally have been left behind now in the city of Antioch and Pisidia, that are filled with joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, you think that, that church wasn't going to be explosive? Think of what happened here. This place, Antioch of Pisidia, would have, in a lots of different, I'm going to say lots of different backgrounds, a lot of heritages, because of where it laid. It, it laid in a place there was a lot of gathering of different cultures. And somehow they would have all been melded, you know what I mean? And here comes Paul, he gives one sermon, poof, and the place blows up. And there were those that trusted Christ. We're on a course right now. The world is on a course. Ultimately, the Jews will be, at the very end, be able to be a, trust their Savior in mass. Okay? That's really what this history is leading towards. We're at the, I, I believe, at the end of the church age. We're moving there quickly, very quickly. There are things, aspects of our economy that are being derived to really literally drive us closer and closer and closer to that. But as we get further away as a society, from a nation, from a world away from God, the more likely it is for that gospel to come and reside and to take root 
and to be resisted at a high level. The tribulation period will be one that will be, well, it's, it's described as unbelievable, honestly. But we'll take that for the Jews, the ones that have rejected it. It's the same people, people. Sounded weird. The Jews are the same as they were then. Listeners, let's try that a different way. And it will take that kind of ridiculous tribulation period to get them finally to look up to Jesus as the Messiah. That will be an unbelievable day. The day that he hits the Mount of Olives and splits it wide open. That the Jews will say they will worship the one they pierced. Even though it was a Roman shoulder that pierced Jesus' side, that had Jew written all over it. That day is coming. These Jews will come, not these that we're speaking of, but a Jewish nation will come to Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel of Christ. I want to, Paul, did you have something or not? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. I promised we would, we would close there. Actually, I had one, what was I looking at there? While you're turning there, I'm going to look at one other one that I had written down. 12.30. Oh, this is, uh, you don't need to go there, but write, maybe write in your notes if you'd like. Matthew 12.30, it says that he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Again, one or two ways. There's no other place. There's no other setup. It's the way it is. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 says this. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I can't say that loud enough. There were people, I'm still thinking, and, and granted, God left disciples behind. The Holy Spirit spoke to those Gentiles that got saved. But there were people that didn't hear Paul the second time, even though the whole city gathered. Satan brought his resistance at a high level that Paul wasn't even able to speak it. Those people that didn't accept Christ on the first Saturday, I wonder how many of those are behind the doors of hell today because they didn't take that day and receive Christ. That's my word of warning to anyone that hears my voice today. You've heard the gospel today. Jesus Christ once and for all conquered sin. That's man's biggest problem. That is woman's biggest problem. That is a child's biggest problem. Always has been. Jesus Christ conquered it. You can gain victory over sin by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior for sin. When you accept His work by faith, your sins were nailed to Him on the cross. In future to him, but in present and future to us, it's been completely paid for. You have been justified, made not guilty before God. You can appear in Jesus' blood that covers you in front of God the Father, the sovereign creator, with boldness. Because you are wearing the righteousness of Christ. That's the message today. That was the message Paul gave. And you'll either reject it or accept it. And that choice is yours. The responsibility is yours. God's responsibility, if you will, or the gift that he gave is grace. He allowed us to have the opportunity. He wrote your name in the book of life when you've trusted Christ. And it's not going to be blotted out. But I want to be in that book. That's the book I want to be in. 
That's the one that's marked. That's the one, oh, I do not see your name in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life. Depart from me. But I did stuff in your name. I, I did. I, was, I worked at Goodwill and I, I gave stuff. And I, 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 your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life. Depart. There's people we need to pray for, isn't there? That the Holy Spirit would infiltrate their lives, their hearts, their minds, showing them what they need. Showing them what they need to receive, not what they need to literally do. That's what religion is. That's what Martin Luther spent a great deal of his life doing. You know how he he nailed those theses to that door? By faith. Are you living by faith? I hope so. These responses are very similar today. There's resistance to the gospel. That's going to keep coming. Are you searching after God? Are you seeking after him? Paul and Silas, sorry, Paul and and Barnabas, guess what? They did what God asked them to do. They were expelled, and guess what they did? They went to the next town. Don't be discouraged by rejection. Just go to the next place the Holy Spirit wants you to go. You've done what you've done. You've done it in the Spirit. Now just keep rolling. Just keep rolling. See, Satan wants you to be discouraged. That's one of the greatest weapons that he has against a Christian. It really doesn't matter in a non-Christian. They just, he just wants you blind. But if you've trusted Christ, now he wants you discouraged. Because discouraged people get nothing done. They don't get anything done. You're too depressed. You're too, who, right? It's true. This is, a, this is a testament really to Paul and Barnabas now. They could, have, they could have kind of licked their wounds and guess what? They could have went home like John Mark. Now, I praise God that John Mark was recalled back into the ministry. He was a quitter. I don't know what it was that made him quit. Maybe it was just to travel to the Taurus Mountains. But Paul and Barnabas, they had a pretty good reason to quit right now. They had a super session on a Saturday. Seven days later, they're there and the whole town is there, and he doesn't even get to speak about Jesus. You know what it did? Persecution drove him to the next town. Go to the next place. Write the next card. Call the next person. Move on. Don't dwell on lost. I don't even know if I want to say it that way. On dissension. I'll just say it that way. Don't concern yourself with it. Move on. Now, if you were at fault, deal with it. The Holy Spirit, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit can ding, 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 ding. You need to deal with that. Ding, 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 ding. You need to deal with that. Ding, 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 ding. You need to deal with that. It's kind of like that snooze button thing, right? It just keeps coming on, right? I was listening to a comic the other day. He says, man, he says, I got up really early. I worked really hard. He says, I hit that snooze button from 4.30 in the morning till noon. I was so tired out of a nap. <laughs> I wonder if we don't do that with the Holy Spirit. Do we keep turning him off? Keep turning him off and we're so tired that we have to have a nap? Don't do that. Go to the next place. Go to your next Iconium. There's people there that need to hear what you've got. The Holy Spirit has filled you with His truth. Share it again. Share it far and wide. Let God's message be revealed. Let's pray. Father God, wow, Paul and Barnabas, they were true men. They were on fire. Even though they were resisted, and I mean vehemently, 
If we were even going to go to Second uh, Timothy chapter three verse eleven, it tells us that they were persecuted at Antioch. No doubt, they were probably even whipped and beaten, which it seems to allude to in that passage. But Father, they were not dissuaded. They had the living water within them. They went to the next place. And we'll find out next week, yep, sure enough, the Jews were there again. Father, the resistance that comes to us in sharing the gospel, it's active, it's a busy thing. But Father, may we be encouraged by the fact that the Holy Spirit lives within us. Jesus Christ died for us, that we could be with you for eternity. Nothing can change that if we've trusted Christ. Help us to continue faithfully forward. Help us to be everything that you want us to be. Father, go with each one of these today. Help them in their struggles, their decisions, their problems. Give them wisdom and insight. May the Spirit lead them. Because if they're filled with the Spirit, they'll be filled with joy. Thank you for what you're doing. Just pause to, to glorify and to honor you in everything. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.